Uh, welcome to RUF, uh, Reform University Fellowship. My name is Chris Horn, and I am the campus minister of this wobbly music stand. Uh, it's really good to see you. Um, if I don't know you, I'd like to get to know you. Uh, it is my job. I was just telling someone this, and it's kind of weird to say. It is my job to be your pastor, to be your friend, uh, to be here for you, regardless of what you think about that. Um, you know, I don't sell insurance as well and then come here and see you guys. Um, but I would love to get to know you. I would love to get to meet you, whether that's over lunch or coffee or mini golf or spelunking uh, or whatever. Also, we have two interns, uh, Jennifer, the lovely Jennifer who you saw earlier, is, and the lovely William. Is, Will is here, right? Will in the Dolphins jersey? All right. Um, uh, we're here for you. This is our job to be here for you. If you need someone to talk to, uh, we would love to get together and talk with you. Uh, RUF is uh, a community of students that are trying to learn how to love God and love one another, um, regardless of who you are or what you've done or where you've been. Uh, we're happy that you're here, and this is a safe place for you. Uh, we like to say that this is a place where people that are in process can process. So this is a good place for you, regardless of your religious or non-religious convictions, your background, your age, your stage, whatever. We're happy to have you, so thank you for being here, especially if you're new. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, tonight, we are beginning a series uh, called Questions God Asks. And, uh, you know, the Bible is a, is a place where a lot of people go to get their questions answered. They have questions about God, they have questions about life, and they turn to the Bible, and the Bible is certainly a good place to go with your questions. Uh, but all throughout the scripture, God is actually asking questions of people. And uh, what happens when we go to the Bible with our questions looking for answers, and instead the Bible begins to question us back? Uh, what do we do with that? And so tonight we're going to look at some passages in the book of Job. And uh, if you don't know where Job is, it's in the middle of your Bible there's Psalms, and then turn back into the book right before Psalms. And uh, we're going to see, uh, you know, why does God ask questions? And we're going to sort of kick off our series there. Uh, the famous poet T.S. Eliot said, uh, prepare for him who knows how to ask a question. Talking about God. So, uh, so let's prepare for uh, a God that might ask a, us a question. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, my smoking hot wife is with us tonight. Um, and uh, she's in the front. And uh, she's great. And uh, Sarah Jane and I have two daughters, and their names are Georgia and Bonnie. And having children is a wonderful, life-changing experience, which, you know, most of you will experience one day. Um, but there are some downsides to having kids. Uh, for example, uh, children ask questions all the time. From when they get up to when they go to bed, they're always asking questions. It's like a constant interrogation chamber in your house, and there's children, and they look like you... And they're asking questions, and it's really weird. Um, it's, it's, you know, my daughter at least three to four to five times a day says, Daddy, when's your birthday? Like every, like, like once an hour. And it's like, it's like being in Guantanamo Bay. It's like just constant over and over and over. And so I'm like, why don't you believe me? It's February 17th. Fine, it's not February 17th. You got me. Just let me out. Um, or she'll say, she'll say, She'll say, uh, Daddy, what's your name? What's your name, Daddy? I'm like, 
dad, daddy. Uh, uh, but children are always asking questions. Children ask questions all the time ad nauseum. It's cute at first. When you're visiting my house, it's cute. Um, but they have to ask questions, right? Because their knowledge is necessarily limited. They just don't know very much. And in order to make sense of the world around them, they have to ask questions. They don't know when your birthday is, nor can they obviously remember. So they have to ask you over and over again. And as we grow up, we don't stop doing that, right? We just start asking more and more sophisticated questions. Because the problem with relating to another person is, if they don't say anything, you really don't know what they're thinking, uh, who they are, what their name is, when their birthday is. Um, So as we grow, we continue to make sense of the world by asking questions and getting information, right? Um, So it's a little bit weird, right, when we turn in the scripture and God asks people questions. Because he's not lacking any information. There's not anything from you or from the person he's asking that he needs to learn, that he doesn't already know. So why does God ask a question at all? But... What if God doesn't need to ask a question to learn something from you? What if God needs to ask you a question so that you can learn something about you? There's another preacher that says that God asks us questions so that we can hear ourselves answer them. Uh, What if God isn't trying to learn something from us, but he wants us to learn something from our interaction with him? What if he doesn't need to know something, but we need to know something? Let's look at our passage, and uh, I think that there's a lot of answers in here as to why God asks questions. So it's up here on the board. We're going to be kind of jumping around. Uh, If you're in your your Bible, we're in Job 38, and we're going to kind of jump around. Listen, this is the word of God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Were you, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And then verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the path to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. In chapter 40, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but I'll proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? And then lastly, in chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, 
which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is God's word. Let's ask his blessing as we consider it together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. I am uh, very uh, aware that, Lord, even these things are too wonderful for me. They're too wonderful for us. Um, And, Lord, we've read your word, and you promised to work, so we ask that you would do it. Would you be with us by your spirit, that we might hear from you, that we might be drawn to you, that we might love you and serve you and find fulfillment only in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, we're just going to look at why would God ask a question? Why is God asking questions in the Bible? And I think in this passage, there's two answers. God asks questions to show us who we really are. And God asks questions to show us who he really is. So God asks questions to show us who we really are and us who he really is. Uh, Job needed God to ask him questions because there was something uh, that God needed to reveal to him. If you're not familiar with the story of Job, maybe you didn't grow up in church or you just never heard. This isn't Job Bluth, by the way, uh, from Arrested Development. Um, It would be a lot maybe more interesting if it was. Um, More magical, at least. Um, But we don't have time to dive into the backstory of Job because there's 37 chapters. Uh, But suffice it to say that the story of Job is an epic tragedy. Uh, At the beginning of Job, there's this really interesting interaction, which you don't really find elsewhere in Scripture, of God and Satan having a conversation together. And they're talking about this guy named Job. And Job was a righteous man. Uh, He was a man that feared the Lord. Uh, He he loved the Lord. But he was also a very wealthy man. Uh, He had flocks and herds. He was kind of like this guy, you know, like living in Myers Park in Charlotte, big house, um, beautiful, lovely Myers Park. Um, and he had all kinds of he had, he had flocks and herds kind of a fortune 500 guy and he had a great family lots of children, servants and everything and he was like that wealthy guy you know, like with the beautiful wife and the lovely family and all this stuff but then he's like a really nice, like good Christian guy too, so you're like, I want to hate him but he's so nice and he brought me over and paid for pizza uh, Job, that was Job so Satan comes to the Lord, and he says, you know, yeah, this Job, he, you know, he's a righteous guy, but the only reason why he's such a good guy and he's so nice and that he loves you and obeys you is because you've been so kind to him. You've given him all these flocks, these herds, all this wealth. I bet if you take that stuff away, he will curse you. He actually says, but stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will curse you to your face. And strangely, God allows this to happen. And uh, these awful things start to happen to Job. His, uh, his, his flocks and herds are killed. They're run away by bandits. And, uh, and these things are bad. The servants get killed by these raiding bands. And then worst of all, uh, all of his children are celebrating together and the house collapses and all the children uh, are killed. And in ancient society, you know, your children, uh, your posterity were your prosperity kind of. You know, they, they were your hope and your future, and your, and your wealth. Um, yet, in the midst of all this, Job doesn't curse God. Uh, he actually responds uh, in faith. 
And so the, so the devil again comes back to the Lord and says, yeah, 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 but you haven't touched his health or his body. I bet if you, uh, if you strike his health, then he'll curse you to your face. So Job gets these like epically awful sores all over his body, and they're itchy and awful, and he actually has to break a piece of pottery, and he's scraping these sores. They're so bad. Um, it's so bad, and things are so awful for Job that his own wife says that you should just curse God and die. Uh, yet Job remains faithful to the Lord throughout. And he actually says this is something you probably heard, maybe you've seen on someone's wall or heard at a funeral. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But in case this wasn't bad enough, you know things were going bad for you, and then you have a friend, and they come over to cheer you up, and then they just make it so much worse. He has three friends that come over, and they begin to tell him, you know the problem is, you probably have some unconfessed sin, or you're actually sleeping around on your wife, and you need to repent. Or else, like I had a pastor, and like no matter what was going on in your life, if something was going bad, she was like, well, you just have unconfessed sin. Uh, and she talked like that. Um, <laughs> and she's great, and I love her, but she says that all the time. Um, so they're telling him that you know, there's some part of his life he's not honest about, he needs to confess, that things should be worse, and he, you know, he should just be groveling, on and on and on and on and on for like 37 chapters. And it's beautiful and poetic and lovely. Well, it's long. Um, and so they're just questions. It's question after question. They're asking questions to each other, asking questions of God. Why did this happen? I'll tell you why. Okay, I still don't understand. And eventually Job gets frustrated with God because God isn't giving him an answer for why all these bad things have happened to him. God is silent. Uh, And maybe you felt that way, right? You have questions. Why are my parents like this? Why was I born this way in this place? Why did I come here? Why won't my professor be nice to me? Why did my boyfriend or girlfriend break up with me? And then they unfriended me on Facebook. Um, (laughs) And Job actually says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Let the Almighty answer me. But God is silent. He doesn't respond. He's out of the narrative after chapter 1. But in chapter 38... God breaks through, and he doesn't, like, warm up. He gets straight into it, and he says, dress for action like a man. He's like, why don't you man up? Uh, let's, you want to talk? And he says, I will question you, and you make it known to me. And he basically says, okay, you have questions for me? Okay, that's cool. I have a couple questions for you. Why don't you answer my questions? Question asker. Uh, and then there's just three chapters of like question after question after question. And it really has nothing to do with what Job was asking about. God's like, how about, did you put constellations up in the sky? Or did you put all the water in the ocean and set all of its boundaries? Or did you, can you tame Leviathan? He's asked some questions about like mountain goats and like, do you know like when the mountain goats breed? And there's some stuff about weather. And he's on and on and on and on asking Job questions. That he can't possibly answer. There's that, I love that one part where, he, where he's like, well, surely, you, you know, you have many years, so you, will know, you would know the answer to this question. Uh, but Job can't answer these questions. That's kind of the point, right? You kind of pick that up after a while. Like, Job's understanding is necessarily limited, right? Because he's a person. He didn't create the world. He wasn't even there. Uh, he didn't make the oceans. He didn't make the mountain goats. And notice Job's response. He says, Behold, I'm of small account. 
what shall I answer you? And later he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job just kind of gives up. And he says, you know what? Like, fine. You're right. I get it. Like, you're God. I'm not God. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've, I've kind of come up to things that I can't, I can't possibly understand. And God gave Job a reality check. Uh, he reminded him in no uncertain terms just how little he actually knows about the way things work. Job had a perspective problem. He thought that he deserved answers. You know, he was a pretty good guy. He was faithful to God. He deserved for God to answer his questions. And really, in the, in the, you know, the, the warp and woof of our day-to-day lives, we begin to lose perspective too, right? Because you have, you know, you know the iPhone, you know. I was going to say MySpace, but no, no one uses MySpace. It's making a comeback. I saw a commercial on TV for MySpace. What? Anyway, don't get on MySpace. Um, if you remember one thing tonight, remember don't get on MySpace. But we kind of, we have our schedule. We're doing our thing. We're focused on the things that we need to do, right? And ourselves gets to be the center of, 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 of sort of everything we do. And we, our own importance becomes very inflated, right? I know mine does. And we need God to ask us questions to sort of remind us how things really are. We need an outside voice to come in so we can hear ourselves answer these questions. Like, did you create the world? No, right? So why do you expect to know exactly how it works? We have a perspective problem. I'm always interested when someone comes to me and they're talking, which I love, and uh, they say, you know, like, well, my roommate said this, but she doesn't really know me. She doesn't know me, so she doesn't know how I work. You don't know me, man. Or like, you know, my, my mom, my dad, they just don't understand. Like, I want to do this thing. But like, they just don't know what I want. And they don't know how I operate. Or they don't just, they just don't, he didn't understand me, so he couldn't stand being with me. But if he really got to know me, right? Because we think that like, no one else can know us the way that we know ourselves, you know? Like, they don't know the real me. Like, I have to let them in so they'll know the real me, right? Um, but like, have you ever, has any, have you ever left a voicemail on someone's phone? And they're like, oh, hey, I got your message. And they're like, they play it. And you're like, ah. You know, it's like this really uncomfortable 30 seconds. Because you're like, and every time you go, do I really sound like that? <laughs> we think that we know ourselves really well. You don't even know what your own voice sounds like. As good as people that listen to you talk know what your own voice sounds like. I refuse to listen to the recording of any time I talk. Because it's like, just like soul crushing and, you know, makes me <laughs> melt down. But what if it isn't true that, that no one knows you as well as you know yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Like, other people can awful, often see things about you that you can't. Uh, that's one of the beauties of being married. It's like standing in front of a mirror all the time. You know, like, your actions have immediate consequences and you're like, oh, I am really like that. Um, like, no, I'm not. And then later on you're like, oh, she was right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and the more that we begin to isolate ourselves from other people, and the, the less people that we have that are honest with us in our lives about, hey, this is how you come off. And when you said this, it sounded like this. Or you do this thing and it's really hurtful. The less that we have, or you do this thing and it's really great and everyone loves it. And I don't know why you're so down on yourself about it. The less that we have those people in our lives, the less we have that outside voice speaking in, 
When that happens, we begin to lose actually who we really are, any real understanding uh, of, of who we really, really are. And this is especially easy in college, and it's especially easy for freshmen. And I get it, because this place has like almost 19,000 students, and it's very easy just to like get in the shadows, right? And it's very easy to say, you know, I'm going to go somewhere, RUF or wherever, and I'm going to go there, and like, if people like reach out to me, that's great, but like, if not, I'm not going to pursue a relationship with them. They have to come, they got to come after me if they want to be, or I hear this all the time, and I understand, know that I understand, but still know that you're wrong. Um, I went to that church, but like I stood in the lobby for like 10 minutes, and nobody came up to me and invited me to lunch. I'm like, did you talk to anybody, or you just stood there like the weird kid that's standing in the lobby that nobody wants to talk to? Um, we need to move towards other people. Because the more that we're with people and they speak in, the more that we actually really understand who we are. Uh, And if that resonates with you at all, and you're like, I don't really have that, or I don't really know people like that, or I feel very lonely, uh, can I just encourage you, like, there's clipboards in the back later that you can, like, sign up for a community group, and you can, like, talk about this stuff. Like, if you don't have anybody you can be honest with, like, you can be honest with them, you can talk to me. I have, like, a confidentiality thing. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody, and I'm not going to be shocked by your weird stuff. Um, Get involved with some kind of community, if that resonates with you at all, because we need perspective. Job and his friends saw this external evidence of what has happened, and they thought they had it figured out. They thought they knew exactly what the problem, uh, problem was. But God breaks in, he starts to ask questions, and he's pointing out how very little they know about how things actually work. Uh, And could you at least begin to question whether or not you know yourself as well as you think you know yourself? Because one of the beauties of the college years is you're like, man, I really thought like I knew what I wanted. I really thought I knew the kind of person I wanted to be with. I really thought I knew why I did the things I do. And you find out you're not really so sure about that after all. Could you begin to question whether there's some of the things that you believe about yourself aren't true? Um. Like, there's another a pastor that I know, and he always says, if you're deceived, do you know it? Well, like, no, of course not, because then you wouldn't be deceived. Uh, it's just, just basic definitions of words here. Uh, if you're deceived, do you know it? Um, if there's things that you believe about yourself that aren't you, how are you going to find out? What if God loves you too much to let you continue to believe things about yourself and about him that aren't true? And what if he breaks in, breaks through that static in order to sort of clear the deck? And uh, what if he steps into our lives to give us perspective from the outside? Gosh, we desperately need it. I know I do. So God asks questions to show us who we really are, to give us an outside perspective. But God also asks questions to show us who he really is. And this is kind of the more important part. Job needed God to reveal himself to him. Job wasn't coming to the right conclusions on his own, even the help of his three really annoying friends. Uh, Job needed God. When God replies to Job, uh, notice that he never says that there's anything incorrect about what Job says. He never says, well, you said this thing and this thing and this thing, and you're actually wrong, and let me fix your understanding, right? No, actually, after what we just uh, read, right after that, God talks to Job's friends, and he says, my anger burns against you, And against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. 
Job actually says all kinds of right things about God. He understands, in a sense, who God is and, and, and how he works. I mean, this is the guy that says, the Lord's given, the Lord's taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, there's a lot of things that he gets, right? Uh, and he's humble. But just because Job knew a lot of raw facts or sort of naked data about who God is, that doesn't mean that he actually knew God. Can you pick up the difference? Just knowing data about something doesn't mean that we really know that thing. It doesn't mean that we truly know God. This is what Job says in uh, chapter 42. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. God's questions have taken Job to a point where he realized that he knew about God, but there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And, you know, we're in college. Well, I'm not, but, you know, y'all are in college. And uh, been there, done that. It's awesome. Uh, And, you know, but we live in a society that puts a real high value on knowing stuff. And in a sense, that's good, right? Um, like, you come to school, and, like, we're starting to kind of realize that, like, we're, we've got to do more than just, like, give people information, right? We can't just give them facts, remember these facts, and then your life will be changed. Uh, no, though, we've got to actually like, to train people, change the way they think, right? But you can come to school and get a degree. You can even get a graduate degree if you just know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff, right? Uh, and you'll have this great respectability in society that you should lead things because you have more, like, pieces of paper, you know, with little letters at the end. Uh, But it's clear that just knowing stuff and knowing more stuff can't change people. I mean, because probably that guy in your class that's the smartest guy can also be like the worst guy in your class, right? Because the teacher's up there talking, and they put up their hand, and they always ask it in the form of a question, but it's like, but professor, wasn't it actually Walt Whitman that said (laughs) blah, 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 Walt Whitman quote that I don't know? Uh, It's like, just because this guy knows something that Walt Whitman said, doesn't mean that he's not a jerk. Uh, It doesn't mean that anybody wants to be his friend. Uh, It doesn't mean that he doesn't think that he can teach the professor something from the seat. Just having access to information can't change you. Uh, In my pocket, well, on the stand, but usually in my pocket, uh, and in most of your pockets and purses, there's like a little rectangular black box. And contained in that box is all the compiled human understanding of all time, right? And what do you use it for? Like, I typically use it to, like, watch videos of people, like, falling down (laughs) or take pictures of my food or keep up with that friend that I didn't even like in middle school. And I'm like, wow, they have a baby. Uh, You know, it's like, I mean, like, really, 20 years ago, this is, like, this kind of information is like, this is a superpower 20 years ago. It's like, you would be in a comic book if you knew this. And like, what? I don't use my superpowers for good uh, or for evil, but I usually use my superpower to find out which Walking Dead character I am. And I know it's Daryl. And they say it's Shane, but I know it's Daryl. Uh, uh, knowing, having access to information doesn't change your character. Uh, Bertrand Russell, who is a genius... Uh, He's passed away now. Uh, He was an atheist philosopher. Uh, He's famously quoted uh, as being asked, you know, Dr. Russell, if you die and the judgment day comes and you stand before God and God says, why didn't you believe in me? What will you say? 
And Bertrand Russell said, I would stand before God and say, not enough evidence, God. Not enough evidence. Knowing data, knowing information, gathering more and more data is not enough for us to know God. And it doesn't mean that there aren't really good ways, ways that we can uh, talk scientifically about God and all these things. Those, that's, those things are true. But we desperately need God to come to us. Right? We talked about that last week. We need God to come to us and to fix us, to ask us questions, and to show himself to us because we can't get there on our own. We need God to come and show us who he is. So God comes to Job in a whirlwind, which is a tornado, which would freak me out. Uh, you know, if someone came in a tornado, you know, and anyway. Uh, and instead of answering Job's questions... And saying, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'm in a tornado, so you believe that I'm God, and here's the answers to your questions. Have a nice day. Please come again. Uh, uh, he doesn't answer Job's questions. He shows up in a tornado, and he never, ever tells Job why all this stuff happened to him. Uh, if Job's God was too small before this interaction, certainly it's not the case afterward. God intends to fix that problem, in a sense, to, like, to put Job in his place, Right? But you may be thinking at this point, like, man, God sounds like really mean and cynical and defensive. And like, why does he got to get all up in Job's business like this? And like, why can't he just come and say, okay, hey, you're wrong. You know, fix it. Why does he come uh, in this way? I thought God was supposed to be loving. And I thought he was supposed to be meek. Just last week, Chris, you were talking about God coming to bad people and he's loving and amazing. And now this God's scary and weird. Um, he's so defensive. Why is he so defensive? Uh, one of my favorite musicians, I've preached at this large group three times, and every time I've quoted this guy, so uh, love him. Uh, his, his, name is, his name is David Bazan, or Bazan, I've never known how to pronounce it. Bazan? Who said that? Uh, thank you, Bram. Uh, I knew I liked you. For some reason, I couldn't figure it out. But, um, I'm just kidding. It's because you play the drum, and it's really good. Um, but he played, he played in a band called Pedro the Lion, uh, and he, for a long time, wrote songs as a Christian songwriter, and they're amazing. Um, but since then, he's kind of kicked the whole I'm a Christian thing, and he's an open agnostic, and uh, he, still, he writes wonderful, great music. But he, he had an album that came out, sort of his coming out, like, post-Christian album, and uh, there's a song on it called In Stitches, because it's kind of this metaphor of like this part of himself that he had removed, and so he has these stitches, right? And uh, he's talking about God's interaction with Job. So there's like a tiny commentary on what David Bazan thinks about this uh, interaction with Job. And he says, like, he says this. When God asked you the question, you responded, who are you to challenge your creator? Well, if that one part is true, it makes you sound defensive. Like you had not th- thought it through enough to have an answer. Like you might have bit off more than you could chew. Makes you sound defensive. Is God being defensive? Uh, Is he putting Job in his place? Is he being mean? Is he acting like that annoyed parent that I never am? Uh, That like when their child continues to ask the same question, like why, 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 why? This finally goes like, because I said so. So just do it and go away. Stop asking me questions. Uh, Is that what God is doing? Is that how he's acting? Is that his character? Uh, I don't think so. Um, And the last little bit uh, on the screen there, uh, uh, Job says, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
And that word that is, is the translated as, as repent uh, also is, has this sense of being comforted, right? That he's in these ashes and, and he's kind of understood his standing before God, but there's a sense of like comfort there. Um, God isn't humiliating Job. He isn't putting him in his place like, I'm God and you're not, so you better recognize, right? Like just recognize who I am and ah! And get down and grovel on the ground. Um, uh, just feel really, really bad about yourself, and then things will, you know, be right. I mean, I don't, if, that, if you've ever like responded that way, like I just need to feel, feel, feel way worse about this, then then I'll get it right. I'll understand what God's all about. Uh, God isn't isn't doing that. Um, you know, God is using some serious language. Fair, okay, right. It may be like heavy, like harsh. Language, like that's, that's fair. Um, but what if God's cutting through the crap? Uh, because he wants Job to see him and know him for who he really, really is. Uh, is it possible, do you think, that Job could simultaneously feel smaller than he ever, ever has before this massive God who he did not realize was this big and other and intense and feel so, so small and insignificant, and at the same time feel really free and comforted in a way that he never has. Like, are those two things that could go together? Is it possible that God is much bigger and, yes, much more frightening than we had thought? But also, is it possible that that recognition of God's size and his immensity... uh, could really begin to change us when we realize that he still like he he still loves us he's still interested in showing who he is to us and coming to be uh, with us i mean could that could that begin to change your perspective uh, if you've ever read uh, the chronicles of narnia or seen the movies um, you'll know that c.s lewis the author he uh, when he wanted to sort of have this jesus this christ character he chose an enormous lion named Aslan, and uh, Aslan is very terrifying and very scary, Um, but the constant refrain about Aslan is that he is not safe. He's frightening, he's not safe, but he's good. Uh, Have you ever considered maybe God isn't safe? Maybe he is a little bit frightening, but that he's good? Uh, What if he's for you? What if that lion is on your side. Uh, Knowing God isn't reserved for only the smartest people in the world. Facts aren't enough to change people. Uh, You have to see God for who he really is. Uh, He wants us to do that. And according to scripture, that is a terrifying experience. Uh, Everybody that has an interaction with God, or even with an angel, like loses it, right? Uh, They're like undone, you know, they're melting. Um, And it's a terrifying experience but this, is, this God says to his people, I love you way too much, and I'm too concerned about you to be deceived about who I am. To think that you, are in some sense, are like me, uh, to my scale. Uh, I love you too much just to let you know facts about me and not know me intimately and for real. And he invited us to know him. I mean, if God was mean and vindictive and defensive, he just would have stayed silent. Because he could have. That's his prerogative. Um, 
But our God doesn't just tell us who He is. We talked about last week that He comes uh, after us. Uh, the Lord Jesus came. And the, and the Word says, Jesus said, Anyone who has seen Me has seen the Father. What if that immense God, that terrifying God, came and said, I want to show you who I am because I don't want you to be deceived. And yet, seeing me and pulling back the curtain may really frighten you and may really change your categories about a lot of things. Uh, But I really want you to know who I am. And so I'm going to come and show you my character in a way that you can really understand in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. He came so that we might know God. What do you do with a God that doesn't stay silent up in heaven? Uh, What do you do with a God that comes to us to reveal who he is? Is that a God that you could begin to trust? Um, Could you find comfort in the God that that is that to that scale? Uh, And if you're here and you're a skeptic and you think that God is hiding and you're like, you know, I wish God would just stop hiding. He's, you know, so away and I can never know anything. And I try to learn all these things, but I never know who he is. Could you, just for a second, begin to consider, like, maybe God isn't hiding. Uh, Maybe someone else is hiding in that two-person relationship. Maybe you are deceived about who you are. Could you begin to question whether you're unwilling to turn your face towards that God? Because it would mean a lot of change. It would mean a change in perspective about who you are. Um, could you do that just for a second? And come back and consider it again? But be careful. Because uh, I genuinely believe, according to Scripture, if you ask God to do that, He will show up. Uh, and if you're a believer... Could you take comfort in the fact that this God, the God of Job, is for you? That he's not safe. That that things aren't going to stay the same. That he's not going to answer all of your questions. But that he's for you, and he doesn't despise your questions. He doesn't despise your doubts. He doesn't despise you when you're sitting in class and your professor tells you, well, you know, everything that you believed isn't true, and you're like, maybe he's right, and then you're like, oh my gosh, everything is falling down, and God must hate me now. God doesn't despise those doubts. He doesn't despise those questions. He invites you to come with your questions, but you be careful too. They may not be the answers that you were looking for. Uh, They may not be easy. Uh, It's a challenge. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you invite us in. We thank you that you aren't us. We thank you that you put us in perspective. We thank you most of all that you have shown yourself to us through the person and work of Jesus, that by knowing him we can truly know God. Lord, if there are uh, any here tonight uh, that don't know him, Lord, would you work? Uh, Even um, as we scoff at that idea inside or think that it's silly or just think that it's spiritual mumbo-jumbo talk, Uh, Lord, would you break through? Lord, and would you show us who you really are because it's for our good and your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.